Amen. Please rise now as we hear the call of our Heavenly Father. The call this morning comes from Psalm 135. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise Him, O you servants of the Lord. You who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to His name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for Himself, Israel for His special treasure. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So what have we been commanded to do? Praise the Lord. Let's do so. If you will, uh, if you need it, it's hymn 570. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And then we will sing uh, hymn number 248, uh, All Creatures of Our God and King.
Father in heaven, we do thank you once again for calling us, calling us to yourself, granting unto us the privilege to come to you in heaven, to ascend in the Spirit on this your day, to join with the angels and the just men made perfect around your throne, to come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, who, who speaks of better things from heaven. We, we look forward to hearing you speak to us through your word, by your spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here. And so we ask, O Lord, that all that transpires this morning, we who are called by you to offer praise, honor, for you are to be honored, glory and blessing and thanksgiving for your grace, for your active personal involvement with us now and forever. And so we ask, O Lord, for your blessing in order to be a blessing and that the world may know that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Equip us, we pray. Enable us to honor you, to please you. You are the audience. We are the performers. We pray that you would receive our worship now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you, uh, if you have your bulletins, if you'll turn with me in the, in the order of worship, and we are uh, focusing on, we'll be reading from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. And as is our practice is, is we understand that when God calls us into his presence, we are in the holy presence of God. What happened to Isaiah when he entered into the holy presence of God? What was his first reaction? He confessed his sin. He saw his sin, in particular the sin of his speech. Here he was a prophet who was pronouncing woes on the people. And when he sees the Lord, what does he do? He pronounces woe on himself. He confesses his sin. And then what happens? God forgives him and cleanses his lips. Cleanses him. And so that's what we are focusing on right now. So I'll read the light type, if you'll please read the dark type. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control. Against such there is no law. 
And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that there is a difference between those who are in Adam and those that are in Christ, who were not born in Christ, but by your grace in time you brought to be in Christ and therefore in the Spirit. And so for those of us who are in Christ, in the Spirit, there is a warfare. And for those who are not in Christ, we pray, O Lord, that you would grant unto them a true understanding of their state in Adam, a state of death, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we pray, O Lord, if there be any here that know you not and that do not have that gift of the Spirit, we pray, O Lord, that you would grant unto them repentance and faith. And for the rest, we pray that, you, yes, we do battle against the flesh, but yet you've given to us the Spirit. And so we do want to not ignore the fact that we have not walked in the Spirit today, this week. These sins that are described, and there are many others, are those things that have plagued us, that cling to us. And so we do hate them and want to turn from them, even now and always more and more. We pray, O Lord, that you would grant unto us the forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ, his death once for all. His blood shed once for all for the remission of all our sins. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your intercession for us even now with the Father, where you bring to us to him, and through you we have full forgiveness. And so we do confess our sins, knowing your word, trusting your promise, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we thank you, Lord, for the cleansing. We thank you, Lord, for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, reckoned to our account. It is those beautiful white robes of the righteousness of Christ that is given to us, whereby we can sit, we can stand in your holy presence, cleansed like Isaiah's lips. And so we pray that you would enable us by faith to grasp that forgiveness, to rejoice in it, and in you, and to open our lips and open our hearts and sing forth your praises as we thank you, Lord, for your grace in Christ. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. And so if you will please do so, if you will once again take up your hymnals to hymn number 239, and let us stand and sing, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. To his feet your tribute bring.
Uh, if you keep that hymnal in your hand, and if you'll turn with me to page 852, as again we have an opportunity not only to confess our sins, but also to confess our faith. So what is it that you believe? Well, we're about to state what the church has been stating for over almost 2,000 years. Well, more like 1,700 when this was written. But let us together gather with the saints that have gone on before, confessing the triune God. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is it that you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who, for us men and for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Notice there's one phrase in there. We're going to look at the, the canons of Dort, but notice one phrase that we said. He was also crucified for us. Jesus died for particular people. Not to make salvation possible, but not anyone is truly saved unless they, it's up to them. But notice that. He died for us. So we'll be looking at that. So if, also in your bulletin, you will see that little half sheet that's there. If you'll take that up, we'll have a responsive reading there as well. We are working our way through the canons of Dort, one of the three forms of unity, which is our doctrinal standard or another way of saying that this is a summary of what the Bible teaches. It's not inspired, but it is a summary, an attempt to say, if someone were to come to you and say, what does Grace Reformed Church believe? Well, we believe the Bible. Well, then everybody says that. What particularly do you believe about the Bible? That's where we're covering. So we're in Article 17 this morning. In the third head of doctrine, the corruption of man is conversion to God in the manner thereof. I'll read the leader... Section, if you'll please read the uh, people section. 
as the almighty operation of God, whereby he brings forth and supports this, our natural life, does not exclude but require the use of means by which God, of his infinite mercy and goodness, has chosen to exert his influence. So also the aforementioned supernatural operation of God, by which we are regenerated, in no wise excludes or subverts the use of the gospel, which the most wise God has ordained to be the seed of regeneration and food of the soul. Wherefore, as the apostles and the teachers who succeeded them piously instructed the people concerning this grace of God to his glory and to the abasement of all pride, in the meantime, however, neglected not to keep them by the holy admonitions of the gospel under the influence of the word, the sacraments, and ecclesiastical discipline. So even now it should be far from those who give or receive instruction in the church to presume to tempt God by separating what he of his own good pleasure has most intimately joined together. For grace is conferred by means of admonitions, and the more readily we perform our duty, the more clearly this favor of God working in us usually manifests itself, and the more directly his work is advanced, to whom alone all the glory, both for the means and for their saving fruit and efficacy, is forever due. Amen. So we've been looking at what the Bible says about salvation. And as we said before, Jonah learned it the hard way, didn't he? In the belly of the fish, in his prayer, he says at the very end of the prayer, what? Salvation is of the Lord. Isn't that a summary of the gospel? Salvation comes from God. Salvation is of the Lord. Some who understand this teaching can go one way in error or the other way into error. Some have erred by concluding that God does not use external means to bring about the salvation of his elect people. Okay? God will save you without your with, God will save them without your help or mine. That was an elder in a church in England that told William Carey when he was arguing we need to go to India and we need to bring the gospel to India 300 and some years ago. He is referred to as the father of modern missions. When he said that in the church, that was what the elder said. God will save those heathens without your help or mine. Is that an incorrect view of the Bible? Yes. God uses means. This conclusion cannot be supported from Scripture. On the contrary, God uses means to support our natural life. That's what this says. Does God provide for you your daily bread? Does he? Does God provide for you your daily or your moment-by-moment breath? Is ultimately God the one who gives you the ability to breathe. 
Do you understand how important that is? How long can you hold your breath? Three minutes, four minutes, well, maybe if you can do ten minutes, right? And then you die, right? God gives us every breath. It's the mercy of God, as the Puritan said. And so as God uses food and drink and breath, etc., he also, for our spiritual life, provides his word and the sacraments as means of grace. Do we hunger for that? I don't know about you, but I like to eat. I enjoyed the meal last night. That was great. Good job. But do you hunger for this? Jesus says this is more important than the food you eat, than the water you drink, than the air you breathe. Is that your desire? Do you say, God, I need you and I need your word more than my necessary bread? If not, I'll pray for you. Or if you want, come and talk to me. So God uses means. They're designed by, notice what it says, they're designed by God to do what? To glorify him. Who gets the credit for your salvation? Is it you or God? It's God. It is God who provides the means. It is the spirit who works and applies it. To us, I like to think of that as the sword of the Spirit, right? The Bible says that the Bible, His Word, is the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the surgeon who goes in with the sword and cuts out and removes the, 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 what, the stony heart that we all are born with and puts in us a new heart. That's what he's talking about here with regeneration, being born again. It is spiritual heart surgery. We're a new creature in Christ. We have a new heart. We have a new desire. We have a new center. It's not us. It's God. But also it uh, is designed to humble us, doesn't it? That it is God who does the work, not me, not you. So who gets the glory in heaven? Will there be anybody in heaven bragging, oh yeah, I'm here because I was a good person, or I was, I'm here because I believed it's, it's all about me? Or is there going to be anybody in heaven saying that? Can you think of anybody? No. We're all going to say, by grace I am saved. Or what, the hymn? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And so it humbles us, doesn't it, that we are in, uh, completely dependent on God. So that is what is uh, wrapping up here on the, this third and fourth head of doctrine. Uh, this is coming to a conclusion, uh, undermining some errors that were held by others. Uh, if you haven't worked with us through it, I would encourage you to get, you can find it, I think if you go on our website, you can find the Candace of Dort and work through it. All right, let's go ahead and prepare uh, for the real sermon. Um, so if you will, please, once again, take up your hymnal as we celebrate the benefits, the gifts, the blessing of God. And so, if you will, hymn number 426, how vast the benefits divine which we in Christ possess. Hymn number, uh, is this a tune we know? I don't, can you play it through once?
please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 103. Our Old Testament scripture reading is Psalm 103, and our, our New Testament scripture reading, which is also our text this morning, will be from Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we'll be reading verses 1 through 6. Hear now the word of God. Psalm 103, a psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as the flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and the place and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his army, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians chapter 1, we'll be focusing on verses 3 through 6, but let's begin in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. In love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, 
according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He has made us accepted in the Beloved. The grass withers and the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for this glorious passage of Scripture, both Old and New Testament, as David celebrates the blessedness of those whom you shine your favor upon, your grace to us. We thank you, Lord, for inspiring the Apostle Paul, guiding and directing him to write this letter to the Ephesians and through him and them to us as well. To those who are trusting in you, you are our Lord and Savior. And we are your people, your saints. And so we pray that you would enable us to comprehend with all the saints the height and the breadth and the depth and the width of your love revealed to us here in the blessings that are found, especially in God the Father, as we look at you, Father, who are blessed and who bless us. And so we ask, O Lord, that you'd open our hearts and plant your word deep within, and that we would come forth from this place praising you, thanking you in word and deed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says God is love. You heard that before? God is love? Yep, good. You can nod your head. I like the conversation, by the way. Okay. You've heard it, uh, uh, the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You've heard that before. These are simple phrases. As a matter of fact, there was once a great theologian who was asked the question, what is the most profound uh, insight he has ever found in the Bible? And he said those words, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. These are simple words, yet how vast, how immeasurable are these truths? They're the greater than the vastness of space, the love of God. Is that what we have before us in our text? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Is that an evidence of the love of God toward you and me? And the answer is yes. Remember, love defined is caring for Someone outside of yourself. That's a good definition of love. Caring for, concerned about someone outside of yourself. Does God love us? Does he care about us? Is he concerned about us? Yes, that's why Jesus came, isn't it? Greater love is no man than this, that he would lay down his life for us. So you have in your, um, in the bulletin, you have the, Uh, outline if you follow along with it. The Apostle Paul begins this epistle, this letter of grace, that's what we last week said, this letter is a letter of grace, by focusing our attention on the source of all blessings. That is the triune God. 
We are greatly blessed due to the greatness of the blessedness of God. Then he moves on to reveal and revel in the blessings that each person of the Godhead lavishes upon the beloved in Christ. And so in our verses this morning, especially in verses uh, 3 through 6, we're focusing on the Father. So Paul will first focus on the Father and what the Father blesses us with. And then beginning in verse 7, he focuses on Christ. And then later on in this first section, uh, which ends in verse 14, focuses on the Holy Spirit. So the triune God is glorified here. So just for review, why do we have this letter? Why are we here? What are we doing looking at this letter? It was written 2,000 years ago to a group of people living in Turkey. Uh, what does that have to do with you and me today? Well, like I said, this is a letter of grace, or you could say this is a letter of love. Uh, uh, Paul has a concern for the Ephesians. He spent three years ministering ab- among them. At one point in time, he almost was murdered while preaching the gospel. A riot arose in Ephesus, and his friends had to keep him from going into the arena where all these people were rioting about what he was teaching, the gospel. They kept him from going in because they knew that he would be killed. And so they sent him away. And now he writes this letter to them expressing his love, care, and concern for them. So in a sense, that's what this letter is for. But the Holy Spirit inspired him to write that to us or for us today. One author gives us the purpose of this letter, and it's a fourfold, he says, purpose. Number one, it is designed to bring the recipients, and we would include ourselves, to bring us to a fitting appreciation of the plan of redemption as a scheme devised from eternity by God for the revelation of the glory of his grace. So number one, Paul wants us to understand what God has done for us from eternity, what he's determined and what he's accomplished. Secondly, he writes, to make us aware of the greatness of the blessing which we enjoy in being sharers of this blessing. So he wants us to understand that. He wants us to be aware. Thirdly, to lead us to enter into the spirit of the gospel as a system which ignored the distinction between Jews and Gentiles and united all the members of the church into one living body destined to be brought into full conformity to the image of Christ. So he's bringing Jews and Gentiles together because they were separated, okay? Ethically, but also even religiously, he's bringing us together. And then fourthly, to encourage us to live worthy of the religion which had been delivered to us from the degradation of the he- their heathen condition, especially, and exalted them to the dignity of the sons of God. So, uh, again, what we said before, if you want to summarize the book of Ephesians, seated in Christ in heavenly places, walk, therefore, because of you're in Christ, what it means, and then stand against the wiles of the devil. Sit, walk, stand. And if you know Psalm 1, verse 1, those three words are found there. So, with that kind of set aside, let's consider our text 
in our first point. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. In many ways, verses 3 through 14, uh, Paul begins his letter with an outburst of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So what is he doing there? When he says, blessed be the Lord God, is that the first time that that kind of praise goes forth? And the answer is no. He's reflecting the Bible. He's reflecting the Jewish worship. So, for example, if you want to look at a few of those, we'll just uh, quickly look at a couple. Number one, if you go all the way back to Genesis, we meet a fellow named Melchizedek who meets Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, for he was priest of the Most High. And he blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Notice that. Blessed be God for what he has done. Does that sound like what our text is saying? Blessed be God for what he has done. Again, if you go further on in Genesis, when Abraham sends his servant to get a wife for his son, we read in chapter 4, verse 27, when he is successful in finding a wife for, his, for Abraham's son, verse 27 Then that servant said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Notice, he says, Blessed be God. He has led me to provide, to fulfill my mission, what I was called to do. Thirdly, you hear the prayer of Solomon. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 8. Again, this is just a quick run-through of a few of these to prove this point. Chapter 8 of 1 Kings, and looking at verse 15. The king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel. This is when he dedicates the temple, and he said... The Lord, let's see, I'm going to go back to verse 15. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father David, and with his hand has fulfilled it. And then he goes on to describe that God has fulfilled the promise of building a dwelling place in Jerusalem, a temple for his name. So, uh, as one author says, time would fail me to describe all the places in the Bible where this kind of language, this declaration or description of praise, beginning with, blessed be the God and Father. Because he is blessed, he is also able to bless. Blessed be the God and Father. He can bless us with every spiritual blessing. Back to our text. But notice where. Where are the blessings? 
What does it say? In heavenly places. What is he saying? They're there. They're permanent. The blessings that we receive from God are permanent. They're in heaven. Can anybody steal the blessings that God gives you if they're in heaven? Can anyone take it out away from you? No. Those blessings are permanent. Everything we need in heaven and in earth are in view. He's blessed us with everything. Does that ever cross your mind? How often does it cross your mind? That everything, everything I have, everything is a gift from God, His grace. I am blessed in Christ. And it's in heaven. Because I am in heaven. Now, some of you will say, what do you mean? How are you in heaven? You're standing here on earth. Well, in chapter 2, he says, in Christ, we are already in heaven with him, positionally. So those blessings in Christ are in heaven. But notice also, yes, notice also, that is the key, in Christ. That's the key in the letter. That's the key in Paul's writing. It is the most important concept. Either you are in Adam, we've said this before, for those that haven't been here before, every one of us are born in Adam. We're under the curse of Adam. And we live like Adam, we sin. That's every human being born. Or, by God's grace, he translates us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Or another word for that is, I'm in Christ. There's two kinds of people in the world. You're either in Adam or in Christ. Do you understand that? We don't divide by race. We don't divide by gender. We don't divide by anything biblically. You're either in Adam, and where is your eternal state? Where are you going if you're in Adam? Destruction. Or you're in Christ, in heavenly places. So let me ask you that question. So where are the eyes of your heart right now? When you are struggling with trials, temptations, or even blessings, what are we to do? We're supposed to look up. Is that what Paul's telling us to do? Look up. Look at God. Look at the Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Is a trial a blessing for if you're in Christ? It is. It may not feel like it. As the one hymn says, behind a frowning providence, I see a smiling face. Even the difficulties we face, cancer or death or the loss of a loved one or whatever, the negatives loss of a job or whatever. Is there a blessing in it if you're in Christ? Is that working together for the good for you? And the answer is yes. Paul will argue that in Romans. So the question is, where are your eyes? Do you have these kind of eyes looking to the blessing that is found from the Father? Secondly, the second point, how vast the blessings in Christ. Look at verse 4. Just as he chose us in Christ, in him, before the foundation of the world. So there he says, just as God, who is love, chose to love us. 
Last night, yesterday afternoon, I hope you don't mind, we saw the fruit of two people that chose to love one another. We saw a marriage, right? Did you first choose God or did God first choose you? Paul says he chose us when? Before there was creation. Before we existed, before anything existed, he says, God chose us, loved us in the beloved. Notice that. He loved Christ from all eternity and he loved those, loves those in Christ from all eternity. Do you understand that? Before time, before creation, from eternity... Jesus says it this way in Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. From the foundation of the world. In Christ, the kingdom was prepared. So why? Why did God do that? What is the purpose? Why are we here then? Why isn't it that we believe in Jesus and we're out of here? Why is it that we pass through this time, uh, as one author writes, this veil of tears, the sin-cursed world that is at war with God? What? What's the purpose of all this? Well, notice he gives us that purpose in verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that, you could translate that, for the purpose that, what? We should be holy and without blame before him. So what is the purpose of all this? And the answer is that we would be holy, set apart, distinct, belonging to God, and that we should be blameless before Him. Again, justified. And so he says, God has chosen us to holiness, to be like Him. To be made into the image of Christ. And that work of sanctification is making us more like Jesus. And sometimes that sanctification hurts. Right? Just like surgery hurts. That sword of the Spirit turns two ways. Right? Blessing and judgment. But for us it is that we would be made like Jesus that we would be able to stand before Jesus justified, declared righteous before God. That is the purpose of his election. Not just to save us from hell, but to make us like Jesus. So that when someone sees you, they don't see you, they see Jesus. Isn't that the desire of your heart? Would you like that? Would you like that? That when, when your neighbor comes to you, they say to you, I see Jesus in you. 
Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever had someone say, are you Christian? I see how you act at work or whatever. I see you're different. What is it about you that's different than me? It's because of Jesus, the work of the Spirit. This is what Paul is saying there. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessing. He's chosen us, number one, in Christ from before eternity, that we should be like him, that we should be holy. I don't know about you, but I can't think of a better blessing. That when someone sees me, they see Jesus. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, please come and talk to me afterwards. Verse 5, notice also. The translator stuck in love in the wrong place. That's why I read it the way I did. In love, he's talking about in Christ. In love, having predestined us to adoption by Jesus Christ to himself. Notice that. In his love, he predestined us from eternity to be adopted. Does the child choose to be adopted by the parent? Or is it the parent or the couple or the individual that adopts the child? Think about it. Adoption is the act of the father and mother in a human case. And in this case, God the Father. Why is it that we are called, we can say, our Father who art in heaven? Any of you children here in the congregation, James, do you ever call me father? Thank you. We're not, uh, we're not Roman Catholic here, okay? But the fellow sitting there, do you say dad or father? He's your father. And you call him father, and that's a correct statement. Thank you. Can anyone in Adam... Say, Father. Abba, Father. If they are not in Christ. And the answer is no. What happens? One of the things that happens when he saves us, when he brings us into that relationship with Christ, he adopts us. We have the right to call God Father. Is that important to you? If not, where are you? And so he goes on to say, again, let's look at that again. In love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Notice that. He predestined us. Paul, in another place, in Romans, explains this golden chain of love in Romans chapter 8, verses 28. You know 28. We all know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So in that word foreknew, it could be translated whom he loved before all time, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son. Is that what I was saying earlier about being made in Christ? That he's predestined us to be conformed into the image of his Son, 
that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. Whom he justified, he also glorified. And if you notice, all of those verbs are what? Are they future, present, or past? They're all past. In Christ, you are already glorified. If you can, if you can grasp that. And then we see in verse 6, another blessing in Christ from the Father, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Is that important to you? To be accepted by God. To be accepted in Christ. Many struggle to be accepted in the world. To be accepted by their peers. To be accepted by their family. Well, here he says the most important family is the family of God. And in Christ we're accepted. Not only so, the writer to Hebrews says, and we have boldness to come into his presence to find mercy and help in time of need. Because why? We're accepted in Christ. Is that a blessing? I hope I'm repeating myself in multiple ways. I hope you understand how vast is the blessings of God in Christ. So what should be our... Our, our response to this. Number one, confidence. I'm loved. I belong to Jesus. He's my faithful Savior. With his precious blood, he is fully satisfied for all my sins, has redeemed me from all the power of the devil, and so preserves me that not a hair can fall from my head, unless he determines it to do so. Hey, all things are his gift to me. Secondly, it should drive us to humility. This is grace. This is anything I earned or deserve. This is the gift of grace. And notice the third point, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Why are you blessed? What is the purpose of God choosing individuals in Christ? Paul says it's to the praise and the glory of God the Father. So when we say, Abba, Father, to God, is that another way of saying thank you? Is that taking the truth of what Paul is saying and applying it to yourself when you say, Our Father, who art in heaven, my Father, who art in heaven, Daddy, if you will. Abba is the Greek word for Father, Daddy. We have that childlike, do, do you have that childlike response of faith and love to call out to God his Father. He says to us, children of his, ask, seek, knock. Do you do so? Do you talk to him? Do you pray? Do you ask for the things that he wants to give? What about thankfulness for all his fatherly care? Do you say, thank you for, t- for giving me my daily bread, my daily breath, for the ability to be alive and be in one? you ever say thank you? Another one is, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Do you wake up in the morning? Do you pray that prayer? Okay, God, I have to do this or that today. Whatever I do, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Do you pray that? Is that your daily prayer? I'm here to serve you, not myself. What do you want me to do today? If you don't, put it into practice. Jesus taught us to pray that way, didn't he? So these are ways that we can glorify God the Father. 
Again, what does Paul say? That we should be holy, set apart for him, living for him. That we should be blameless in his presence. That we should be family, sons and daughters of God, bringing honor and glory to our heavenly Father. That, we, that he would be praised and glorified through time and eternity. Through us. That's what Paul is saying here in our text today. How does your heart respond? The center of your being. Are these words, oh, I'm tired, that was a long night last night, I can't wait for this thing to be over with. Do you, does your heart hear, do you hear what Paul is saying? Blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly in Christ. I could go on, but I'm going to close with that. And let us pray. Father in heaven, these words are so precious. Describing your love. They are so precious to us. We pray that you would break any walls, any hindrances from truly receiving what you are saying to us through the Apostle Paul, through the Spirit of God, that these words of encouragement, these words that are designed for us to grasp at least in a small portion of your love, your grace towards us, enable us, O oh Lord, to do so. And enable us, O oh Lord, to respond appropriately in thanksgiving, in prayer, in praise, and in hearing and doing what you would have us to do. For we exist because of you and for you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us respond to God's word by giving up his tithes and our offerings. Father in heaven, we do come before you and lay before you these tithes and offerings, the works of our hands, and we thank you for the ability to work and to succeed and to prosper. We thank you also, Lord, that you've entrusted unto us many resources, not just these tithes and offerings, but all things, life and breath, abilities to work and prosper. And so we pray that not only with these tithes and offerings that they would be committed into your kingdom purposes, but all of that we have would belong to you, because they do. We acknowledge that. And we pray that you'd help us to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We also thank you, Lord, for the access we have through Jesus Christ to come to you and to ask and to seek and to knock. There's many prayer requests that are in the bulletin. There's also many prayer requests that 
are on our hearts that are not written there, things that we've brought with us into this setting. And so we do, as your people come, coming into your presence, as your sons and daughters, as counselors of the King of Kings, we come to you and ask that your kingdom come, your will be done, that you would provide for us our daily bread, that you would provide for us the ability to be at, at peace with one another, that you would enable us to overcome the temptations of this world, to stand against the wiles of the, de- wiles of the devil, Having done all to stand, stand therefore in the armor of God. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us, O Lord, from evil. And so, Lord, we do ask for those things. We do ask for uh, your blessing upon uh, David and also um, Rachel. We ask for your blessing upon Caden and Emma, as they both have uh, recently, as of yesterday or two weeks ago, entered into the state of holy matrimony. We thank you, Lord, for the ability to celebrate with them uh, in your blessings. And we ask, O Lord, that you would establish them firmly in the faith and in their relationship as they are now in a different relationship with one another. And we ask, O Lord, for your blessing upon them in the many years that you have set before them to serve you together as husband and wife. We thank you, Lord, also uh, for providing the ability to sell the parsonage. We ask for wisdom concerning the disbursement of those funds. We also come to you with the many needs that are here listed. We do lift up to you our brothers and sisters in Weezer, Idaho, a group of families that have gathered together and are desirous to plant a church there, and we ask for your blessing upon them. As uh, there's a a group of men that have formed a, um, a steering committee. We ask for wisdom for them. We pray for the church in Modesto and the Western classes and the Northern Plains classes and the Northern Plains classes uh, missions committee in particular concerning the establishment of this mission work. We do pray, O Lord, for the church that is being established in Manhattan, Montana. We ask for your blessing upon them for the Horners, for George, in particular as he fills a pulpit there, and as they look and anticipate and desire to see a pastor called, we do pray that you'd raise up and provide a pastor after your own heart. We also lift up to the other churches in the RCUS that are without pastors. We think of Garner, Iowa, Mitchell, South Dakota, uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, Lyman, Colorado, and Greeley, Colorado in particular. We pray, O oh Lord, for provision for them. We pray for the students that are in seminary that are preparing to uh, possibly enter into the ministry in the near future. We thank you, Lord, for answered prayer concerning David's licensure and ordination exams, his passing, and now the the ordination service is scheduled for September 29th. We ask your blessing upon that as well. We lay before you the many needs that we have. We lift up to you the Schimitz family as they prepare to travel to Poland, and we ask your blessing. Uh, and we ask that there would be no hitches, that there would be, they would be able to come back here uh, quickly with Melly. And we ask, O oh Lord, for the boys in particular as they adjust to having a sister, that you would enable them to be able to receive and to love their new sister, we pray. We thank you, Lord, for also hearing our prayers concerning our friends and families. There's a number of prayer requests in the bulletin 
concerning friends that we have uh, dealing with very difficult uh, situations. We think of Landon, uh, we think of Paul, we think of Trevor, uh, as well as members here in the church. We think of Christy, we think of Skip and Clayton. We ask, O Lord, for your mercy and help for them. And also, Lord, we do pray for Isaac and Elias as they are um, continuing to press on after the loss of their little girl, um, Evangeline, who was with us for 19 days. Her life was cut short, but she's there with you. We pray for comfort for them. We ask all these things, praying the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, for our closing hymn this morning, we get to sing Psalm 103. We read it earlier, but we're going to go ahead and sing at least a portion of it. Psalm or hymn number 103, easy. O come, my soul, bless thou the Lord. Let's stand and sing.
wanted to mention, and I don't normally do this, but in the sermon, I was going to mention a book recommendation. Uh, I know a pastor back in California that he used to bring a whole box of books every Sunday and recommended all these books. I didn't do this. But I do have one book, and that is this one. It's called The Joy of Calvinism. Uh, If you haven't read this book, uh, I'd encourage you to do so. It it is a very good, uh, and some of the ideas that we talked about come from there. All right, let's go ahead and receive God's blessing and benediction, the blessing coming from 2 Corinthians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all.